Please be seated, and I would like to invite all the young people to come forward at this time, all the children in the congregation. If you don't know if you're a young person, you are, so come on up. Because <clears throat> if you don't, I'm going to get real lonely up here. Come on, everybody, come on, come on. If you're up to sixth grade, that counts. I need you up here, because I'm going to tell you a story and show you something really wonderful. Are you guys excited about Christmas? Are you going to get some good presents? Uh, you don't know. I am. I'm going to go home and my wife has all sorts of good presents prepared for me. I want to talk about Christmas. This is the great story. This is my favorite day of the whole year. But I want to think about two things that happened. God created everything that is. And he didn't have to do that. God was perfectly happy all by himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving one. He didn't have to create anything. I want you to think, just imagine for a second, can you imagine no trees on the earth? Can you just think about that. Can you imagine no trees at all on the earth? Can you imagine that? Can you, I'm from Kansas. I can imagine that easy. Okay, that's an easy one. So let's do this. Can you imagine no grass on the earth? Nothing at all. That's pretty boring. Or no rocks on here. Can you imagine no rivers or no ponds or no lakes or no ocean? Nothing at all. No animals, no trees, no, no chestnut trees or oak trees or elm trees or anything. Can you imagine that? That would be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Now, I thought of that because I bought this book. I was down in Branson and bought this book, and it's a coloring book. And it may seem funny that I would have a coloring book, but I like coloring books. And, you know, I'll listen to a teaching tape, and then I'll get out my yellow pen or my red pen. I've got a char charcoal gray and charcoal black, and I'll doodle and uh, make all sorts of pictures. And then I went to open up my book, and guess what? Look at that. Can you see that? There's nothing in it. It's totally blank. And I thought, what a ripoff. I bought a coloring book, and there's nothing in it. And then I thought to myself, well, that's what it would be like with God. If God had created nothing at all, it would be like this book, boring and uninteresting. But we know God did create. We have the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God made everything. That story is told elsewhere in Scripture. He did make stuff. So, could you hit that a couple times? Just one more. There we go. Oh, not too many. And he did create. And so here's his book. And he, he did create stuff. So he has stuff after all. And he made it. And that's pretty cool and pretty wonderful. So we praise God because he made everything. We can look at stuff, and that tells us something about God. We can look at the mountains. It tells us the majesty of God. We can look at water. It tells us about the purity of God. We can look at the beauty of animals. That tells us something about God as a creator. We can know all sorts of stuff about God, but I just don't want to know about God. I want to know God himself. I want him to come in person and be here. And that's exactly what he did with the incarnation when Jesus was born at Bethlehem. God came himself, and we know about God. So it's not just that he created things, but he brought his beauty into it. He brought himself into it. And it, well, it's a little bit like this book, which turns out has all sorts of really 
I don't, how did I do that? If your parents have their pledge up to date, I'll show you after the service. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but isn't that wonderful that God did all that wonderful stuff? So the two great miracles, maybe three great miracles, is creation, God made it. The incarnation, God came in the person of his son. Jesus is the son of God, was born of And so when we know Jesus, we can know God. And then, of course, the great miracle of Easter, when God overcame death through his son. And that means that all of us will have life too. But we're going to celebrate that about five months from now. So we'll wait for that. But we're really grateful the beauty of what God has given us in his life. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love over us. Thank you for creation, but especially thank you this Christmas season that you came in person and that in knowing Jesus, we can know you. We thank you for this and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, head on back to your folks. Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For Jesus' sake, amen. It is my purpose and privilege to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. But I would have you carefully understand what I mean when I say those words. Someone has once wisely said that life is better measured by the breaths we do not take than by the breaths we do take. That is to say that life is measured by those breaths that literally take our breath away. Christmas Eve is one of those times when shepherds on hillsides hear angels and the Son of God is put together in an animal feed box and astrologers come across the hills in strange animals. It's a night full of things that cannot be but are. Not surprisingly, Mary is quite speechless. When angel Gabriel visited, Mary spoke. When Mary visited Elizabeth, she spoke. But when the moment of the birth came, no word is recorded. Luke simply records, she pondered all these things in her heart. But I think, as she lay there in the wet straw, she must have thought about the lowliness of God's approach to man. We do the opposite. We fill the season with noise and lights, splashes of colors and lots of action, but it is never so with God. There's no record of God knocking down anybody's door. Instead, he simply stands at the door and knocks. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Have you ever pondered the how the greatest powers come silently? Gravity is a power, but gravity comes silently. The tides of the sea are great, but the tides are silent. Springtime is great, yet springtime creeps silently. And so it is with God. He is heard best in the moments that are quiet. He whispers in the wild woods. He murmurs in the majesty of the mountains. 
And when we become very still in the center of ourselves, we hear the still, small voice, which is his voice. Isn't that how God has spoken to you in the quiet of a moment? In some thoughts subtly inserted into your conscience, or the hearing of some soft sob of some social need, what Wordsworth calls the still, sad cry of humanity. It was like that with Jesus at Mary's knee, amidst lilies in a field bespeaking God's providence through the interior voice of God that called him to ultimate sacrifice. And we here tonight gather to hear the sob of a tiny baby 2,000 years ago. I think that Mary must have pondered the lowliness of God's approach. And secondly, I think that she must have thought about the lowliness of his arrival in an inn, a simple courtyard, food for animals, not people, swaddling cloths, a simple cloth rectangle with straps to tie it up, a very unimpressive reception. There's a favorite poem of mine. Uh, this is my favorite Christmas poem. It's by the Scottish mystic George MacDonald. He was a sort of spiritual mentor to C.S. Lewis. It goes like this. They all were seeking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a tiny baby thing that made a woman cry. Why, Mary must have thought, did he come in such a fashion? Why? Why? There's a wonderful story about a medieval king who went among his people. He dressed himself in disguise as one of the commoners, and he walked among them, went into the pubs with them, went into the fields with them, went to the market with them. He wanted to get out of the, he didn't have the term, but the bubble of his counselors, and he wanted to know the people. That's Jesus. Or again, there's a story of a Hindu who rejected Christianity because he asserted God of majesty and the great God who created all things would not come in such a way. And then one day he was crossing a farmer's field and he looked and he saw this anthill and he saw this plow going up and down the field and it would come and eventually run over that anthill. And he mused that they were so busy and diligently building their thing. But then he began to feel compassion for those ants. And he began to shout at them and say, you need to move. The forest is right there. Just go into the forest. But they did nothing. And then it occurred to him, he said, I wish I could become an ant and go among them and tell them that the way of safety is just a few feet into the forest. And when he thought that, he wasn't a Hindu any longer. I think Mary that night pondered the lowliness of his arrival. And one last thing. I think Mary pondered the lowliness of his audience. Shepherds would have been the first ones to hear the angels and their song. The custom of that day was for local neighbors or an, an acquaintance who had an instrument and knew how to play music to come and to serenade the newborn child and the family. That would have happened in Nazareth. But this was Bethlehem, and nobody knew them. But the shepherds heard the song. The shepherds were morally and ritually unclean. They were not fit for decent company. 
They didn't understand it all, but they didn't need to. They were invited. Celsus, a Roman bitter antagonist of the Christian faith in the first century, wrote a biting diatribe against Christianity some 1900 years ago. He was the sort of critic who made Richard Hawkins look kind and gentle by comparison. Listen to what he wrote against the Christians. If you would be a Christian, then be ignorant. If you would be a Christian, then be stupid. If you would be a Christian, then be uninformed. If you would be a Christian, then be one of those not worthy of the attention of your betters. Now that's one time that Celsus wrote more wisely than he knew. For to all that, I would say, amen. You don't have to be a PhD to come to the manger. You just have to be like a shepherd or like Mary. We need only to look and to be quiet. We welcomed Jesus tonight with singing and a procession, with candles and vestments, and it was beautiful, and we were all touched by it and by you. We sang carols filled with many memories, but that's not the best way. It seems to me that in the end, the best thing we can do is just to be very quiet. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Not like the shopping mall, or the TV special, or the Times Square's balloon drop. Rather, we will sing at the end of this service, Silent Night. Silent Night. And then ponder these things, like Mary. If I could give you a gift for Christmas, it would be the pondering heart of Mary as she rested there in the damp straw and suckled her little man-child. And while she thought to herself, glory to God that his approach should be so lowly. Glory to God that his arrival should be so lowly. Glory to God that his audience should be so lowly. And maybe even she whispered so silently that no one heard it to write it down, glory to God in the lowest. I wanted you to understand that, because that is what I mean when I say that I hope you have a very merry Christmas. Let us pray. Oh God, let us bow in silent wonder before the glory of your lowliness, that we may see the gift, that we may receive the gift, that we may rest in the gift, which is our life, even Emmanuel, Jesus our King. Amen.